Good morning. My name is David Hershey. Uh, my wife and my family attend here. I work over at Penn State Berks in Campus Ministry. Uh, I'm wearing a blue shirt so I can stand up here like Tim and preach. That's the requirement, maybe. But uh, if you're not familiar, that was a scene from the BBC show Sherlock. It's an adaptation of the uh, Sherlock Holmes stories from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle from 100 years ago. And in this scene, Sherlock is very bored, so he's shooting his wall and wanting something to do. He wants a good crime to solve, because that's what he does. And he's talking to his friend Watson. Watson has begun publishing a blog about Sherlock's exploits. And uh, they're having this conversation. It's kind of humorous. They start talking about how Sherlock doesn't think it matters that the Earth goes around the sun, that it's, it's irrelevant. It's unimportant to think about that. He talks about how uh, ordinary people, people like me, fill our minds with lots of just useless information that sometimes we feel the need to inflict upon the world when really nobody cares or needs to know those things. So, uh, and it's true, I think, for me. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Some of the unimportant things that we give time and energy to that probably don't matter nearly as much as we uh, think they do. So if you've been around, uh, Tim and a number of guests have been going through a series titled Whole, talking about some really big issues. Uh, if you haven't been here, I encourage you to check out some of the podcasts I've missed a couple Sundays, but I've benefited from listening to them. They've been really good. And the best way to describe what I'm going to talk about this week and how it fits in, I kind of feel like I got the easy one, because I'm going to talk about the little things that aren't big things until we unnecessarily make them into big things through our own choices. The things that really are unimportant don't demand the energy we give them, but for whatever reason, we end up building them up and then stressing out about them. Uh, maybe a silly way to illustrate this comes from one of my favorite podcasts, uh, NPR's Hidden Brain, with uh, Shankar Vedantam, I believe, is the host. And they did a series back in August called You 2.0, where they just talked a lot about just different self-helpy kind of things. And in one of them, they interviewed a psychologist named Tim Harford. And Harford talked about this experiment that had been done on whether clean desk policies are beneficial for offices to have. And uh, maybe you work in an office and are familiar with clean desk policies. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But in this experiment, they had four different groups of people that they experimented on. The first group of people were led into an office and were given an hour of work to do, just basic administrative tasks. But the office was kind of drab. The essential things were there, a computer, maybe a stapler, things like that. But there was really nothing else. And after the hour of work, when they interviewed the participants, they didn't really like the office too much, but they did the work and moved on with their lives. The second group of people were led into an office that was just prettier. It was, had art on the wall. It had uh, some potted plants. It was nicer looking. It was more welcoming. And after they did their work and they were interviewed, they reported enjoying the experience a little bit more because it was more welcoming. The third group was led into an office quite similar to the second groups, but they were told that they could arrange things however they wanted them. They could move this picture here, they could put that plan over there, they could kind of change the desk this way, whatever they wanted to do to make the, desk wel the, the office welcoming more comfortable for their experience, they could. 
At the end of the experiment, they reported the most satisfaction with the entire thing, and they also got the most work done. And then the fourth group was told, just like the third group, that they could rearrange whatever they want. But then when the experimenter came in, he looked around and said, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You can't have the stapler. That breaks, that breaks the rule. You can't put your desk that way. We have a rule against that. You can't put your picture here. It has to go over there because that's against our policies. And the people in this group were livid at the end of the experiment. They, they hated the experimenter. They hated the work. They hated the office. They hated everything about it. One of the people even said she wanted to punch the guy for, for this. And, and the funny thing is, it was the same in the end as group two. And group two liked it. But the fact that they, in group four, were able to rearrange it and then told it was wrong just made the entire thing, ruined the entire thing for them. Well, in the podcast then, uh, Shankar asked uh, Harford, what does this mean? Like, how have you applied this to your real life? Do you ask your kids to clean their rooms anymore? Kind of chuckling as if expecting them to be like, no, I still do. But Harford said, you know what? Actually, because of experiments like this one, my wife and I have stopped bugging our kids about tidying up their rooms. And what's amazing, he said, was that their kids' rooms are about as clean or as messy as they were before, Nothing has changed, but everybody in the house is less stressed about it. And I'm not telling you to, you know, not tell your kids to clean their rooms. That's not the point of the story, although maybe it's something that's little that we shouldn't stress about as much as we do. Maybe that's one of those things that is kind of little. And if we step back and think about it, we'll find out that the rooms are going to be as clean as they are, whether we yell at our kids to clean on a daily basis. There's little things in our lives that we make big then we find ourselves stressing, frustrated, spending too much mental energy on them that they don't deserve. I'm going to go ahead and read a passage from the Bible. It comes from uh, the book of Philippians. So it's written by a man named Paul. He was an early leader in the church. He went around and started churches in different cities in the Mediterranean world. And uh, one of the cities was Philippi. And then what he would often do after he left the city, maybe he would get news about how things were going. And uh, he would write them a letter, giving them all sorts of encouragement, advice on how they should deal with their problems, things like that. Uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's very brief, four chapters long. You can read it in like 15 minutes. And I'm going to read a few verses from the final chapter, chapter 4, that I think are very helpful to, to think about this morning. So Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And then skipping a verse or two later, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So I want to focus in on the middle paragraph, where he talks about uh, meditating or thinking on things that are, are good and noble and right, pure, admirable, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. In essence, I think we could simply sum this up as Paul saying, 
that we should put our mind on good things that promote wholeness and mental health rather than poor things that push us in the other direction towards unnecessary anger or frustration or stress. And I find that convicting personally because I am one of those ordinary people like Sherlock talks about who fills my mind with all sorts of useless things. It may help in Trivial Pursuit. Not sure if it helps many other places. For me, one of the things that I've been convicted or challenged by over the past number of months is the way I interact with the news. An early, a part of my day, pretty much every day, probably like many of you, is reading the news. I wake up, I get my kids their cereal, their toast, get them kind of settled. Then I decide to sit down to my coffee and my breakfast to read the news. Now, maybe my parents or grandparents or some of you, reading the news is an actual paper. For me, it's opening up my news app or my Twitter app on my phone. And there's nothing wrong with obviously reading the news or being informed. That's a good thing uh, for adult humans to, to do. But I've been thinking about a lot lately the things or the practices I engage in in the name of being informed. The problem that I've seen with myself is the endless commentary that you see that I see on social media that goes along with the news. So it's Monday morning. I, I crack open the, the apps and maybe there's you know the Penn State football game or the Game of Thrones episode or whatever is going on in the world of politics. And I don't just read about those things, but because of Twitter specifically, I get to see the comments from hundreds of thousands of people about how they feel about those things. And maybe I see a, a tweet, a comment that I find compelling, funny, thoughtful, a good zinger, and I retweet it. Maybe, which means, if you're not familiar with Twitter, that's kind of like liking it on Facebook, sharing it with the world that's, you know, involved, whatever. Or what happens a lot is I see something that I find offensive or ignorant. How could somebody on the internet have that sort of opinion? And I get frustrated that this stranger I've never met has voiced this opinion. And then I put my phone down. And now Elijah, my son, wants to play Legos, or maybe I have a Bible study I have to prepare for, for, for my job at Penn State. But my mind is still on Twitter with that person that shared that awful opinion. Did somebody, like, properly shame him? Did someone let him know how wrong he is? So I go back and check to make sure. Maybe I feel like I'm the one that has to put that person in their place and, sh and, and tweet something back at them. You horrible how could you you know blah 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 so i do that put my phone down now eli wants to read a book maybe i have to get ready to go to campus for a meeting but not only am i angry that someone has that opinion maybe frustrated but now i'm stressed because i've put myself out there and what if someone reads what i said and now i'm the one that's ignorant maybe someone's going to send a zinger or two my way maybe i didn't articulate what i wanted to say well enough so i have to go back on the Twitter, the app again, and, and see what's going on. And all of a sudden, I'm distracted all day long, every hour or so, going back, picking up the phone, opening the app, angry, frustrated, irritated, and annoyed. And realizing this, and it's not a fun thing to realize that you're wasting a disproportionate amount of your day on things that don't matter, but it's led me to make some changes in my life that I feel like were really important to make so that I could 
move towards what Paul was talking about, meditating and thinking about what is good and admirable. I simply decided one of the things I had to do was delete the Twitter app from my phone so it wasn't even available. Just get rid of my account altogether so I couldn't go on there and hear what, whenever I see, because even like I hear the news, I read the news this morning before church, and I'm like, oh man, there's probably some funny stuff out there. People are saying that, you know, I want to, and it does, as like Dave, it doesn't matter. Just let it go. So I, I made that step. And I read a book recently uh, called Liturgy of the Ordinary by a woman named Tish Warren. And it's a fantastic book if you're someone who reads or even if you're someone who doesn't read. Uh, this is one of my favorite books I've read in a long time. I, I think any person could benefit from reading it. She goes through different parts of the day and talks about what those practices we do, what all of us do, and how they shape us. She talks about checking email and arguing with her husband and making dinner. And the first chapter, which I almost think she maybe wrote, like, thinking about me. I mean, we've never met, and she lives far away. But I'm reading this. I was like, this is exactly what I need to hear, even though it's uncomfortable, was about waking up in the morning. She wrote, by reaching for my smartphone every morning, I had developed a ritual that trained me towards a certain end entertainment and stimulation via technology regardless of my professed worldview or particular christian subculture my unexamined daily life was shaping me into a worshiper of glowing screens examining my daily liturgy and liturgy is kind of another word for practice my daily practice as as liturgy as something that both revealed and shaped what i love and worship allowed me to realize that my daily practices were malforming me making me less alive, less human, less able to give and receive love throughout my day. Changing this ritual allowed me to form a new repetitive and contemplative habit that pointed me toward a different way of being in the world. And I read that, and part of me is like, if aliens are watching us and doing some kind of sociological study on the human race, what do they think our God is? What do I wake up in the morning and turn to immediately? I open my eyes, reach for my phone to check Again, the weather, sports scores, the news, email, whatever. But literally, the first moment of my day, what am I reaching for that then is kind of setting the tone for everything else I do throughout the day? And as I think about that, how are these early morning practices, are they setting me up for a day of anger and frustration and entertainment and filtering everything through screens? Or are they setting me up for a day of thinking about what is good and what is noble and praiseworthy and things like that? So the next step that I felt compelled to take uh, is simply something that some of you will be like, well, that's really obvious. But I realize I don't need to charge my phone next to my bed because I have an alarm clock somewhere in my house that will do the job. I don't need to have my phone there in the name of checking the time because I know that after I check the time, I'm going to want to check a whole lot of other things. And it's better just to look at the clock and to spend my first couple minutes of my day not staring at a screen, but laying there maybe thinking, praying, praying for things we prayed for already this morning, maybe get out my Bible and read, maybe get out my journal and write. There are other things I can do in my first moments of my day that are going to set the tone for my day in a much better way than diving into a phone. So don't get me wrong. I still read the news early in my day. I still read the news on my news app on my phone. And I'm not saying that like the news is bad and we should stick our heads in the sand or anything like that. Uh, I work at Penn State Berks. I work with the Christian students on campus. And I feel that a large part of my job is uh, 
relates to being informed. Because I work with a lot of students who see the Christian faith as irrelevant and unhelpful. And I think part of my job is helping them understand and realize that a viewpoint informed by faith actually does have something valuable to say to the issues of the world. So I need to be informed. I think, again, being informed is not the problem. The problem for me is that doing that job, being informed in that way, being able to give those answers, being the husband or the father or the neighbor or the member of this church that I want to be is not going to happen by reading the thousands of comments about the news on Twitter by people I don't know. That's not going to contribute to all the kind of person I want to be. So the question that I would ask us is what little unimportant things in our lives in your life have you made into something way bigger there's enough things in the world to be stressed about without adding to it things that are unnecessary that don't deserve that kind of mental energy and stress when we create a uh, proverbial mountain out of a molehill the goal then is to return that mountain back to the molehill. The goal is to put that big thing that doesn't deserve to be that big back to something small. And I think one of the ways we do that, and there's probably many that we could talk about, the one I'm going to talk about is simply creating space for God's Spirit to whisper to us. Creating space that we can, as we meditate or think about those things, those good, noble, and so on things, that we can then hear God speaking to us. Uh, there's a great story in the Bible, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that comes before Jesus, uh, a man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, and uh, he was someone then who had heard a word from God and was sent by God to speak that word to, to other people. And there's lots of crazy stories about Elijah. He did all kinds of wild things. Uh, in one story, he faces 800 or so uh, prophets of a false god and kind of a steel cage whose god is real match wrestling match or something they didn't literally wrestle but uh, they pray to their god to send fire from heaven to see which god is is the real god so these 800 prophets of the false god pray and nothing happens elijah prays to his god fire comes down from heaven it's awesome and for anyone who's doubted our faith i mean i have many of us have we may have looked at that and been like wouldn't that be awesome like on our days when we just wonder if god cares just to see fire from heaven something that is like unequivocally obvious that god is real and cares about what's going on in the world and what's amazing is that after this happens to elijah he is threatened by one person and he kind of runs away in fear and i'm reading this i'm like elijah you just faced off 800 guys like, do more of the fire stuff. Like, one person, 800, come on. Like, don't you have any confidence now? Like, I like to think that if I saw fire from heaven, I would have more confidence about a lot of things than I do now. Elijah runs away in fear. He ends up on a mountain, kind of in the far away from all civilization. God says to him that he's going, that God's going to reveal himself to Elijah on this mountain. So Elijah's in the, in the cave on the mountain, and... The story goes that just a great wind came by and tore the mountain apart. So imagine you're in a cave in a mountain somewhere and it's a tornado hits. It's terrifying. But then it says God was not in the, the wind. 
Then an earthquake comes. Again, shakes the mountain to pieces. Elijah's there, probably clinging to a rock for balance. But God was not in the earthquake. Then I think the third one was a fire comes and burns up the mountain. But God was not in the fire. And then it gets silent. And the story says that God speaks to Elijah in a whisper, in a still small voice. And I love that because as much as I would love to hear God speak in a you know, fire from heaven, I think most of the time God speaks to us in that whisper, that quiet, small voice today. Which, again, challenges me. Because if my day begins with a phone and I'm constantly having noise in my life, when I stop at a red light, I either... I have the radio on or I pick up my phone again or every moment of my day I'm going to the bus stop to wait for my daughter and I have my phone if every single moment of my day is noise and then I'm like I wonder why I never hear from God like maybe the problem isn't God maybe the problem is I can't hear anything over the constant background noise that I've allowed to seep into my life Richard Foster is the author he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline and he talks about uh, silence and solitude together uh solitude just being of course by yourself uh he says the first thing we can do is to take advantage of the little solitudes that fill our day consider the solitude of those early morning moments in bed before the family awakens think of the solitude of a morning cup of coffee before beginning the work day there is the solitude of bumper to bumper traffic during the freeway rush hour There can be little moments of rest and refreshment when we turn a corner and see a flower or a tree. These tiny snatches of time are often lost to us. What a pity. They can and should be redeemed. They are times for inner quiet, for reorienting our lives like a compass needle. They are little moments that help us to be genuinely present where we are. So... Again, there's many practices we could probably talk about and think about that would create this space for God to speak to us. But the one that has been recently convicting me, and I believe would be helpful for anybody, is just quieting down and giving space for God to speak to us in the silent moments of our day. And then from that, I think another step or another practice we could take would be replacing those distractions with prayer and other practices because it's not that meditating on what is good and what is pure and what is holy again it's not that this means we just live inside of our heads and don't care about what's going on in the real world paul said we read it earlier in philippians 4 verse 9 whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me seen in me put it into practice practice is important and not just like spiritual practices like prayer but like actions in the world in in 4 6 he talks about prayer specifically though do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god so again it's not that this is a sort of either or kind of thing as we create space in our lives to hear from god as we connect with god through prayer and listening we're empowered to go into the world and serve and love those around us. I want to take a moment then, though, to share some things that the deacon team here at uh, Koinos uh, does and is wanting to do in the future. So the deacon team is the volunteers here who uh, work to care for the needs of you all. 
Uh, I'm the lead deacon. There's four or five people on the deacon team as a whole. If you've had a baby recently or uh, that's the big one, we make coordinate meals for people that have babies and we do a lot of other things around the church. Uh, the deacon team kind of flows out of Acts 4 where it talks about how in the earliest Christian community, no one was in need because people shared their things and all needs were met. So again, we coordinate meals for people. We provide help if people need help around the house and are unable to do it. If somebody needs a ride somewhere and they don't have a car, or maybe their car is broken, we're able to help in that way. We may visit people at the hospital or, or send flowers when a loved one dies. That's pretty much what the deacon team does. So if you know, that's you, you maybe have experienced our service to you. You can say that we exist as a team to uh, meet the physical, uh, tangible, real-world needs of the community. Food. Big one. Again. But we also exist to provide uh, spiritual care for people. Prayer. And I think that that's really important to have those two things because every single one of us, every human being, consists of both the natural and the physical element, but also the spiritual element. And if we as a as a team, we're only to, like, minister, give you food when you have a child, we'd be missing half of what it means to minister to you. And if we only prayed for you, and we're like, oh, we'll pray for you, don't worry, but we didn't meet your physical needs in some way, again, we'd be missing half of what it means to be human. So to better, as a team, meet the needs of us as a community, uh, we're actually going to be incorporating a station, a prayer station in the back next to the... Uh, sound booth and this is going to be your way to get in touch with the deacon team if you need something or want something or have a prayer need or have a gift you have to offer let me explain i would imagine many of you are familiar with acts for help it's our facebook group where you and if you're not familiar with it you want to join just just ask we'll put you in there but that's uh, online, people can share that they want prayer, that they need help with something, and then people see it, and it's fantastic. And one of the ways we can explain this table in the back is that this is almost like bringing that Acts for Help group into the real world. So if you're here this morning and you don't have access to Facebook, or maybe you have a need that you'd rather keep private, one of the things you can do is jot it on a piece of paper back there, slip it in the box, and then we'll see that afterwards and be able to help you with that need. Along with that, uh, one of the things we do is we coordinate meals. Often we give uh, the families that have a baby like nine dinners. And that's a lot. And we need help cooking because there's four of us. So many of you have been asked in the past to help uh, provide a meal. And what we want to do to better help us know who to ask and just to have a list of people that we know are willing to do that is we have a sign-up sheet back there. So if you're someone who loves to cook and that's kind of your thing and you want to provide meals... And maybe you're like, wow, this is the first I'm hearing about this, and I've never been asked before. Please sign up. The, knowing this church, I'm sure there's babies due every couple weeks, so, you know, we will reach out to you. Um, another thing you can do if you're someone who has some handyman or handywoman skills, whatever, you want to work around the house, and uh, you're able to rake leaves, you can fix appliances, you know, whatever, and you're willing to give that gift to others, I am not that person. I, I mean, I know who I call when I need help. But maybe you want to be called. Maybe you're like, hey, I can help people with that. That's a gift I would love to offer to this community. You can sign up on that paper and check off. I think that's called the, um, I forget what it's called. But there's a thing there for handyman work. Uh, if you're willing to give people rides, if someone needs a ride to the hospital or the airport, again, you can check that box there. And that would just be a way for us to have a better list of people that we can ask to help when there are needs in our community. And then the other thing you can do back there is if you have a prayer need, 
something you would like us to pray for, you can jot that down and drop it in the box. And I promise you that each week, one of the deacons will be collecting those prayers, sending out an email to all the deacons and the pastoral staff, and we will be praying for them throughout their week. I would rather wake up in the morning and pray for you than check Twitter. <laughs> so I know this isn't necessarily the best reason for prayer, but for my own spiritual discipline, please fill out some prayer requests, and that would be really appreciated. But also, um, beyond that, we're going to be beginning uh, the first Sunday of each month, starting today, because it's October, October 1st. Uh, we're going to be offering prayer, if you want it, after the, after the service at the Green Cross, kind of around the corner. I can see it where I am. Depending where you're sitting, you can't see it. But if you need or want someone to pray with you, to lay a hand on your shoulder, as we did for people before, uh, before just earlier, feel free to come up and we will pray for you. And this is something that is, I don't know, it's, it's powerful. Like prayer is a hard thing to fully get your mind around. I don't think anybody does. No one knows how prayer works. It's a very mysterious thing. But I just know that in times in my life when someone has offered to pray for me and has placed a hand on my shoulder and spoken to God on my behalf, that's beautiful. That's powerful. There's encouragement in knowing that I'm not facing life alone, but that other people are willing to pray with me or pray for me and care about me. Paul himself says that rather than being anxious, we should pray. And I think that when I know in my life, when, pe- when I know people have been praying for me or when people in the moment pray for me, I can feel my anxiety begin to slip away. So, I mean, koinos, our very name means life together, doing life together. That's one of the mantras of our community here. And I think that this praying for and praying with each other is just one more way that we can enhance that community life. So maybe you might think it's a little weird, But weird is good sometimes, and helpful, and beautiful, and powerful. And I think our relationship with God and with each other can only grow as we are praying for and with each other. So once again, after the last song this morning, feel free, if you would like to, to come up to the front, and members of the deacon team will be willing to pray for you. So just kind of wrapping up then, uh, I would challenge each of us to identify those little things in our lives that we have chosen to make into big things that we have given more time and energy to than they deserve. I would challenge us to find ways to remove those distractions and then to replace them with things that are healthy, that will promote health and wholeness in our lives. And I love that Paul, the last passage, the last part of the verse I read much earlier, he talks about uh, that he has learned how to be content in every situation. Whether he's well-fed or hungry, he is able to be content. And I'm struck by this because the world was a mess in Paul's day. They had suffering. They had starvation. They had poverty. I mean, everything that we have now, they had then. And as upsetting as, as it is to think about it, those things will probably exist after I'm long gone. So when we talk about being content, when we talk about trading our anxiety and, and having prayer, it's not that we're closing our eyes and saying the suffering of the world doesn't matter. La, 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 the world's a mess, but I can be... It's not that. But it's realizing, meditating on what is good, putting things to God in prayer, learning to be content no matter what's going on in the world around us, I think simply points us to the fact that 
no matter what's going on in the world, God is alive, God is active, God does care. Even if we don't know what's happening with our loved ones somewhere, even if there's problems that we cannot begin to solve as much as we want to solve everybody's problems, it's the realization that God is in control, that God is bigger than my problems, that God cares about my problems, and that somehow in the darkness of the moment, there's light at the end of the tunnel, if you want to put it that way, and we can be content now knowing that God is going to work for the good. So contentment for me means uh, not forgetting that the world is a mess, but knowing that spending time in the fake world of social media is not going to help the mess go away at all. So I can be content just leaving that world go and knowing that there's better ways to engage with the real world. Being content for me means uh, beginning my day in silence, listening for the whisper of God speaking to my heart. Content for me means listening to God, for God, throughout my day, just being observant of the world around me rather than staring at my phone or thinking back to the things that make me angry and frustrated that I really can't do anything about. Being content for me means finding practical ways to help people in my community, making a meal for somebody who had a baby recently, sending flowers to somebody who lost a loved one, praying for somebody when they need it. I think in all of these ways, and we could, I could probably think of more, content is putting me in connection with God, the ultimate reality in the universe. And in all of these ways, contentment is putting me in relationship with other people other humans who are journeying through this life with me. So I'm going to end with a couple questions to think about. What little thing, again, what little thing in your life are you giving more mental energy to than it deserves? And what practices might you incorporate into your life that would help you meditate on what is good, what is right, and what is beautiful? And again, for me, some of those practices were simple things like just putting my phone where I can't reach it first thing in the morning, deleting an app on my phone, choosing to pick up the Bible on the first thing in the morning rather than my phone. And the third one, what action may you be led to take here in this community? Perhaps signing up to help the deacon team in some way, offering your skills that you have, whether in cooking or otherwise, um, that other people in this community could benefit from. Or it could be something else. Contentment may mean rather than stressing out about things, it may mean volunteering at Kid Street or volunteering in hospitality. There's many ways to serve in this community, in our neighborhoods. You know that. But what action could you be led to take that would be worth your mental and physical energy much more than, for me at least, again, to use mine, that is much more beneficial for me than stressing out about what's going on in the world that I can't control anyway? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for bringing each of us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, as we think through our lives, uh, not that we would get down on ourselves, but help us to find the things in our lives that maybe we're just spending too much energy, giving too much time to, and they really don't deserve it, and they're taking us away from things that are much more important. And as we do that, I pray, Lord, you help us to just to add ways into our day, add practices, times where we can hear from you, connect with you. Uh, whatever time of day that is, whatever, whatever that looks like for each of us, I pray that we'll be open to it. And uh, through that, help us to uh, grow into people who are able to serve and love those around us, whether in this church community, in our neighborhoods, our schools, our jobs, or wherever we might uh, find ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray.